can have a seat. All right. Well, good morning and welcome to Central Baptist Church. My name is Austin and I have the pleasure of helping lead worship um, with this incredible uh, group of volunteers on stage here. Real quick, we don't do this often, but I want to tell y'all that both the musicians and the choir, all of our vocalists, our media team are here early in the mornings on uh, Sunday mornings. Also, the choir rehearses on Wednesday nights, all to help engage in worship along with y'all. So let's give them a hand for what they do. I love every member of this team, and I'm thankful for their service weekly. In case you're ever interested in joining and serving in the worship ministry, you're welcome to contact me by email or uh, just come talk to me in person. So uh, as we uh, continue in worship, I want to say that if you're a guest, I want to welcome you. Uh, there are connection cards in the back of the seats uh, around the room and pens available. So if you want to fill out uh, some basic information on those so that we can follow up with you, we'd love to do that. Uh, be able to get to know you a little bit better and welcome you into the life of our church. Uh, you can also use those same cards for prayer. 
uh, requests, both members and guests. Anyone is welcome to submit a prayer request, and our staff will uh, pray over those throughout the week and contact you, um, see if there's anything that we can do to uh, help you in those situations. Uh, if you came prepared to give your offerings this morning, feel free to use the envelopes in the seat backs and uh, leave them as you leave the room this morning. There's spots to drop those and the connection cards. Let's go to the Lord in prayer before we continue to worship through song. God, we praise you for the great things that you have done. God, I pray that uh, it would be true of us that when we say that we believe uh, that you will do it again, God, I pray that that would be true, that we'd be like the, the woman who uh, was physically ailing and, and knew that she needed only to touch your robe to be healed. God, and you turned and immediately gave her that healing. God, I pray that we would have the faith of that woman, that we would believe that you are the answer to our problems, that nothing else is. The world can't answer it. The world cannot uh, sustain. But you will, Lord, and we thank you for the, the perfect provision that you give us. God, you prepare a table for us in the presence of our enemies. Lord, we have that confidence before you. So, God, as we continue to sing, I pray that you would be glorified. Amen.
you, God, for how you provide. My hope. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. seems to hide his face. I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. On crisis solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand.
come before God with that confidence. He prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies. We don't sit down with our enemies and share meals with them. We don't have that ability. We don't have that security, but our God provides it. So when he says in his word in Hebrews, therefore, brothers, since we have a confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way he opened us for us through that curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean. Thousand generations sing words. 
Amen. You can be seated. Good singing, good worship today. You know, as we pray, um, and we're going to talk to the one that we've been singing to and singing about and growing and learning about um, as we've been singing. Um, we're reminded, of course, that tomorrow is a special day in our country. It is a, a very special reminder of uh, what the opposite of the gospel looks like, and that is evil in every way. Tomorrow is, of course, the anniversary of September the 11th. Um, many of the younger people in the room were not born then. Uh, they read about it in history books, but for many of us in the room, most of us in the room probably, we remember that day and what it was like. And so I want to spend some time this morning praying for our nation. Our nation heal needs incredible healing, spiritual healing as we know. Uh, it needs renewal, spiritual renewal as a country. Uh, but we want to pray for our first responders today. You know, they serve... Um, in uh, many ways, in many capacities, and uh, the things that they have to experience and see um, and have to um, uh, not fix, but respond to um, are very traumatic, and we want to pray for them. And some of you maybe in the room may have uh, been in situations like that as a first responder, either in the past or currently, uh, if you serve here in our town, in our county, wherever you might serve. We want to pray for you as well. So I want to encourage you to come forward now. You can uh, join me here at the front, but we're going to pray. If you want to stay seated, that's okay, or kneel where you're seated, that is okay as well. But um, every Sunday, this space here is open for you to come. You can also kneel here or sit right here on the front row, but let's spend some time talking to uh, the Lord. Let's pray to Him, and let's... Uh, Let's talk to him about these matters that, uh, that we want to cry out to him and talk to him about. Father, thank you this morning for the gift of music and the times that we have to sing the great hymns of the faith and also, Lord, spiritual songs and newer hymns, God, in our service, God. Thank you for the rich words that we are able to sing as we sing scripture back to you like psalm 23 thank you lord for the reminder that you are our shepherd god we are so um, broken in our lives lord and yet we come to you and understand that god you are not broken you're perfect and holy in every way and lord as we come to you we thank you that you stand alone from our world. You stand alone from our culture, Lord, as we look around us and we see so much pain and suffering and struggle in the, life, the lives of many, maybe even in our own personal life. But then we look to you and we see you as a God who is perfect, a God who, Lord, promises that one day our tears will be wiped away from our faces and from our eyes. Lord, there will be no more suffering. There will be no more struggle with sin. There will be no more struggle with our own flesh. God, we understand that we will be in your presence, and that gives us incredible hope this morning. That gives us incredible joy this morning. We thank you that you are holy, as we've just been singing about. We thank you for the destination that you, Lord, have put upon us, that you have reminded us of, Lord. As, as we sung about heaven just a moment ago, we remember and understand that your word points us to eternal life. It points us to eternity. And we, Lord, rest in that promise, rest in that truth. On our way to eternity, we are here in the present, and you have promised us an abundant life, Lord Jesus. And so we thank you for the abundance of life that you've given us, Lord, we just rest in that this morning, the joy that we have in understanding who you are and this personal relationship that we can have with you, Lord, is unmatched in our world. We come to you this morning, God, to worship you, not just in song, but Lord, with our words. God, we come to you in prayer and we acknowledge you as who you are. 
No matter what we've experienced and what we've gone through this week, Lord, we put you in the proper place in our minds and in our hearts. Because before we even come to you and talk to you about matters that, Lord, are important to us, we, we want to worship you, Lord, because you are worthy and you, are, you deserve our time. You deserve our time to be here. You deserve, Lord, the priority of our lives, that it would be prioritized around you, Lord Jesus, and around God worshiping you and putting you first and foremost as preeminent in our lives. God, we come to you because you are worthy. Nothing else in this world is worthy than you. And so we praise you, Lord, for who you are and for what you have done for us to bring us even to this place. We are humbled. God, we are humbled to even be here and to be in your presence. Oh, God, we know we've sinned and we know we've broken uh, the words of your, of your word to us. We know, God, we have disobeyed you and we've rebelled against you in so many ways. We come to you confessing that to you. We repent of that this morning, God, that you would come into our hearts and change our hearts, transform our hearts, because, God, we're so sorry for our sins this morning. Our unrighteousness, our unrighteous words, our unrighteous thinking, our unrighteous actions. But we know you don't throw us away. Praise God, you do not throw us away. Lord, you... Forgive us when we come to you and confess and repent of our sins. Because of the blood of Jesus and the body that was broken on the cross, you have redeemed us. And we come to you, Lord, with hope. Hope that, God, you're a perfect God who is remaking us and molding us and shaping us into the men and women that you want us to become. Like our Lord Jesus Christ, who is perfect in every way, in every thought, in every action. And we are here, Lord, this morning as a church because we trust you. We trust that you're doing that work in our hearts. We trust that God, we, even though we cannot see sometimes beyond the horizons with the things that we pray about and pray for, we know that you are at work. You're at work in us individually. You're at work in us collectively. You're at work in our world today. You're at work in our nation today, in our community. We know and understand that, Lord, we carry the light with us because you have poured the light of, of, of your son Jesus into us. We carry around the Lord Jesus Christ. We are covered by your blood, Jesus. We are covered by you, which gives us the hope that we can pray to you. That we can ask you for things that, Lord, mean and are important to us. So, God, there are burdens in this room that we want to lay at your feet this morning. We know you've turned your face towards us. Your Holy Spirit lives in us. Your Holy Spirit is here with us. We know you've turned your face towards us, your ears towards us. So Lord, hear us as we cry out to you over important burdens in our hearts and in our lives. And at the same time, Lord, we come to you on behalf of our nation. Our nation needs you so desperately. Far beyond 9-11, our nation needs spiritual awakening. Our nation needs to come to its senses. Our nation needs to turn to you, Lord. And the only hope for our nation is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel that you've given to us. The truth that you, Lord, have shown us. The truth that we collectively agree with and believe in. We come to you, Lord, on behalf of our nation to pray, Lord, for the many in our, among our nation, across our nation, who serve you faithfully serve our country faithfully 
it comes to being first responders, EMS, police officers, firefighters, even beyond that, many other people who serve in a variety of different capacities. The things that, Lord, they see and have to witness and have to navigate through, Lord, is, is overwhelming. We thank you for their faithfulness to our nation and to our communities. We pray for their safety. We pray that, Father, that we would continue to hold up their dignity in the sense that we would honor them in every way in our communities, that you would provide for them, that you would provide the right uh, uh, time for them, for their families, and, and, and bless their marriages and their families and their children. We pray that you'd give them time with their families. You pray that you would give them time, Lord, to, with those who who seek to counsel them and help them process the things that they have to experience, that they have had to experience over the many incidents that they experience week in and week out. We pray for those locally in our county, Polk County here and Livingston and, and beyond. Lord, we pray that you would keep all those who are in harm's way, all those who respond to medical needs, all those who make critical decisions in our community and around our nation. Lord, would you keep them safe? and give them wisdom, and guide them to you. Guide them to your word. Because God, when our first responders are confronted with the pain and the death and the suffering and the domestic disputes and all of the things that they have to work through, Lord, that they would see that this is not of you. That instead there is a better way found in our Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray that, Lord, for many responders, that they would return to you, that they would turn to you. They would turn to the gospel. They would believe and be saved. And God, that you would heal their hearts and heal their minds in every way. And God, we put them before you this morning. We put our nation before you today. Thank you for our nation. Thank you for the time that we have to pray for it. Before we close today, would you just pray for me and take a moment or two and just pray that God, I, that I would be faithful to what God wants me to say to you and share with our church this morning. Lord, it's good to be with you this morning, not only in song, but in prayer and fellowship. Thank you, Father. For the time that we've had to pray to you, we turn now to your word. God, open our eyes to see the truth, understand the truth, and to believe the truth and respond to it. We love you, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can return to your seats this morning. Well, good morning. Welcome officially to worship. You've been welcomed already a couple times. I'll welcome you again. It's good to see you. I'm glad that you're here this morning, and uh, welcome to our worship service if you are new and are a guest in our service today. Um, if you are here for the first time or you are back this Sunday as opposed to last Sunday, I'm excited to share with you that we're going to start today a new series. We're going to be walking through the book of Philippians together, and so we are titling the series, if you will, looking at the entire book of the Bible, Joy and Gospel Unity. We're going to be talking about that over the next many months throughout the fall and on into next spring, off and on, uh, and I'm excited to share with you what God has to say to us from this book. So I want you to encourage you to take your Bible, take a Bible open up to the book of Philippians and what we're going to do today before we get into chapter one. What I like to do, maybe a little unorthodox, but that's okay. What I like to do is do an introduction of the book to you. So this morning you're ready for the introduction because there's a word that God has in store for us as a church when we take a step back and we look at the entire book of Philippians. 
And we're going to walk through the book of Philippians this morning, and then next Sunday we're going to dive into chapter 1. So you there? There in the book of Philippians. Say amen if you're there. All right, we've got a few there this morning. If you're not, that's okay. The, next, the person to your left or to your right, they'll, uh, they'll encourage you to get that Bible open. That's all right. Hey, when we look at uh, the book of Philippians, there's several things I want to walk this through this morning, okay? I think when we come to the book of Philippians, it is an incredible reminder that what the Christian life is all about. What the Christian life is all about. You know, before there were Christians in the city of Philippi, before there were a church, there was a church in Philippi, before any of that happened, all right, there was the power of what God was doing in the life of a man by the name of Saul who became Paul. Paul was a man who hated Christians. He didn't want to be around them. He thought they were weird. He thought they were strange. He, in fact, not only did they get under his skin and they irritated him, he actually tried to kill them. And in fact, there was blood on his hands because he gave orders for Christians to be killed. This is the man who's going to take the gospel to the city of Philippi. There was Paul. Paul didn't grow up around these people in Philippi. He didn't have anything in common with them. Uh, he, didn't, uh, he didn't know them from when his childhood. He didn't go to school with them. He didn't have any kind of conversations with them until he got to the city of Philippi. At the same time, this is what God does. He takes a man who is all of that and radically saves him with the gospel of Jesus Christ, transforms his life, sends him to a city that he's never been. And at the same time, God takes individuals, individual people in the city of Philippi that we're going to see and walk through over the next several weeks, and he takes these people from all walks of life. He takes people like a jailer, and he takes people like a, a slave girl, and he, and he takes a, a small business owner, and somehow he links them together, and he uniquely makes them and molds them and shapes them into a church. Kind of look around the room, look at the, cosmo, the, the, the incredible tapestry called the local church. We're all different. We come from different walks of life. We have different interests, different preferences, different ages. We dress differently. All the things that make up the local church. It is a beautiful thing. And this is what God's going to do in Philippi. He's going to take a man who was a, a murderer, someone who hated Christians. They got under his skin. They were not cool in the least bit, so he went after them, right? And he's going to attack them, and he's going to radically save a man like that who has hatred and, and anger and animosity in his heart, and he's going to send them to Philippi. Then at the same time, he's going to, in Philippi, when they hear the gospel of Jesus, is going to radically save these groups of people, these individual people, and he's going to make and create this unique love that they have for God and this unique love that they have for each other. Together, they're going to commit to gospel living. Together, they're going to commit to being shaped by the gospel, not their personal preferences, not what this person, this person's doing, or that that church is doing, or this church is doing. They're going to be shaped by who Jesus Christ wants them to become. They're going to be shaped by this gospel message, this word that Paul has delivered to them, that Jesus Christ has changed them with. They are going to be changed by all of that. God's going to do this incredible work in their life. The book of Philippians. Let's break it down. Philippians is a, an encouraging letter. Paul is writing this letter. By the way, he's in prison in Rome, most people believe. And as Paul is in prison in Rome, he pens this letter and writes it back to this church, this group of believers, this group of people. And it's an encouraging letter. What he's going to remind them of is how encouraged he is of their faith. 
like us, they went through tough times, the Philippians. Like us, Paul himself is going to be persecuted and, and, and face difficult seasons even while he's there. Like us, all of those things are going to bring discouragement at times in their lives. It's going to bring discouragement even sometimes, maybe even in the life of Paul. And despite all of that, there is joy in gospel living. That's what Paul's going to say to them. That's what God's going to say to us and help us to see. So it's an incredibly encouraging letter. And it's also a joyful letter. When you read Philippians, it's only four chapters. It's short. But when you read this letter, when you read this book, letter to us from God. In fact, the word joy or rejoice in this letter over just four small chapters is used 16 times. Paul in his letter to the church is going to write to them and he's going to encourage them to have joy, to rejoice, find joy in what? In themselves? No. In their circumstances? No. But in the gospel of Jesus that he has delivered to them, that there is hope not only in the future, but in the here and the now, that there is joy in, in that. So it's an encouraging letter, it is a joyful letter, but it is also a warning to the church. It's a warning to the church. Think about this. You see what's going on in the context of going on around this church, this small kind of vulnerable church that in its infancy stages is growing, in its infancy stages is becoming the church God wants it to become. There are also those that are seeking to pull it apart. In fact, what Paul's going to do as he writes this letter to the church is he's going to remind the church that there are always going to be those who pervert the gospel of grace. Everybody talks about grace, don't they? Churches talk about grace, people talk about grace, everybody talks about grace, but the fact of the matter, what Paul's going to do in this day and age, there were lots of people talking about grace in that particular community. What he's going to do is he's going to say to them, listen, they are promoting this grace, this grace of God, but it is anything but how they treat people. And so this is what Paul is going to warn the church of. He's going to warn us. God is going to warn us. Paul is going to warn this church in Philippi that there are people who are out there teaching about God's grace, teaching about this, teaching about that, but they're actually influencing the church. They were influencing the church in Philippi but they were ungodly. They talked the good talk, they sounded good, they looked good, but then they were actually influencing the people of Philippi, this small, very young, very influential church, influenced church. But in the moments, these ungodly people were actually harming the church in subtle ways and way, in ways that they talked and the things that they said. And so what does Paul say to the church in Philippi? He says, stand fast, here is the, rep, the, the remedy for that, stand fast and find unity. Stand fast and find unity in the truth. Find unity in the things that matter to God. And so these are some things that we need to remember as we walk through the book of Philippians together. Now understand this letter though, I want you to understand the background of how the church in Philippi even began, how the church in Philippi even started. Long before there was a church, Long before there were Christians, long before there was any influence of Jesus Christ in that town, there was a willingness to go to that town. 
You read the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 15 and Acts chapter 16 in particular, you understand and know that what the Apostle Paul does when he is radically saved, and then he goes away for a short time, he comes back, what God, God's call upon his life is to begin to go and to share the gospel to the ends of the earth, which by that, at that point was, was Macedonia, was Greece, what is today Greece, and other places. That was the ends of the earth. It wasn't on the other side of the world that was a few hours away for us today in our day and age, but it was on the other side of the world for them. The gospel hadn't reached them. And so in that day and age, we see and you read the book of Acts, there was the first missionary trip that when Paul was sent out from Antioch there in Syria, he is sent out. He's, he, they lay hands on him. He is sent out. He goes on this first missionary trip. He comes back. He goes on a second missionary trip, and he comes back. He goes on a third missionary trip, and he comes back. In these three big, long missionary trips, Paul is going into cities. He's going to communities. He has people with him. But how he ended up going to city to city was he would oftentimes go into that city that would oftentimes have a synagogue. He had some common ground with that. So he would go and he would engage with conversation with people who he could talk about the law of Moses. He, he could talk about the Old Testament. He, he, because it wasn't the Old Testament. Then. He could talk about God. They had a reference point there. And there were spaces where he didn't have that. But there were most of the time he would do that. So on his first missionary journey, he goes out. On his second missionary journey, however... There in Acts chapter 15, at the end of Acts chapter 15, Paul takes a man by the name of Silas, and they, stay, they head out on his mission trip together, as two of them. At the end of Acts chapter 15, they end up going into parts of Syria and what is today modern-day Turkey, and they are going from town to town, place to place, doing what I just said a moment ago, doing just that, going to synagogues and reasoning with Jews and having conversations. The vast majority of the time, people would ridicule him. The vast majority of the time, they would reject him, but there would always be that one or two or three, and once someone gives their life to Jesus, listen to me, church, it begins to explode exponentially because you cannot stop the gospel of Jesus. You cannot stop joy and peace and hope, the things we sang about this morning. This is what God does. When light comes into darkness, it does not go away. It keeps going. It keeps shining. It keeps shining brighter and brighter and brighter, even in the, in the seasons of persecution, even in the seasons of difficulty and struggle. The light continues to burst forth. And this is the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Paul and Silas are going from town to town, place to place. They're on that second missionary journey. However, they go back and they decide they're going to go back through and strengthen the churches that had been planted on that first mission trip. Missionary journey two, they're heading back through the same places that they have been before. Paul has been before. He's sharing the gospel again. He's strengthening the churches. He's going into them. He's encouraging them. He's trying to help them get back on the right path because at times we all stray from what God wants, right? And so did the churches then. Oh, and the beauty of what happens and what unfolds in Acts chapter 15 and 16 is amazing because you see what Paul and Silas begin to do is they begin to travel north and as they travel north, they come through this region called Galatia. You know, the book of Galatians written to all of those churches. But in the region called Galatia, as he's making his way up, making his way north, they go through and they want to go to Asia. Paul wants to go over into Asia and take the gospel there for the very first time. But something 
is happening. And there is this sense in which God is preventing them time and time again. Door is being shut, 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 shut. And they're sitting here wondering, what God are you doing? God, where are you sending? Where do you want me to go? Where do you want us to go? The story unfolds and plays itself out. In Acts chapter 16, we learn that they end up in this place called Troas. And as they're there in Troas, they're deep in the night as Paul is asleep, Silas is asleep. Watch this. It says this in Acts chapter 16. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia and having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to enter or to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up, up, up from Mycenae, They attempted to go into Bithynia, which is in Asia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mycenae, they went to Troas. Now watch this. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night, a man of Macedonia, which is today northern Greece. It's where Thessalonica is. It's where where Philippi is. It's where these cities are. And was standing there, urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen this vision, immediately it says we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. God doesn't speak, God doesn't lead. You don't understand God because God works in these ways. He works in supernatural ways. And what God does is he doesn't lead him, he prevents him from going to Asia. Instead, he wants him to go over into Macedonia, so they go. And there's this Macedonian call. They land in a city called Neapolis. You can go there today and have lunch. It's a beautiful little town winding from the mountains all the way down to the sea. And right there is where Paul came ashore for the very first time with Silas. And as they came into what is today northern Greece, what was then Macedonia, they land in this town called Neapolis and they begin to make their way north to this city called Philippi, a city that was very famous. We're going to talk about that in a moment. But it was a very famous town. Make their way to Philippi. Philippi was a Roman colony. It was very strategic and important for a variety of reasons. There is the reason why we have interstates today. We didn't come up with that philosophy, by the way. The Romans did. And what they came up with was this incredible, this incredible idea called the Via Ignatia which was the Roman superhighway, and they came up with the idea that they would take and they would build a superhighway from Rome itself to all, all throughout the east and the west. And it was there that these Roman colonies, these Roman cities would be established, called the Via Ignatia. Philippi rested on the Via Ignatia. You can go there today and walk on it. It's still there today, parts of it. And there in Philippi, a strategic city for a variety of reasons, known for gold, was known for um, farming. You gotta understand that when the Romans would build these cities, they were like miniature pictures of Rome. And so when you go there today, you can go to the ruins of ancient Philippi, and you can see the evidence of what a mini Rome looks like as the Romans would build these cities in different places. It was a very, very busy place. It was a very strategic city. It was filled with Roman soldiers. Why? Because it was a very famous city that Roman soldiers, when they would get to a place where they would retire, many of them would go to Philippi and they would 
They would rest. They would stay there. They would live there. So it was filled with Roman soldiers, filled with Roman influence, filled with with a cross-section of culture and society and everything that existed among the Roman Empire. And all of this, listen, church, is going to be important as we walk through the book of Philippians. All of it is. God wants us to understand it. Acts chapter 16 tells us, Paul and Silas, when they come into Philippi, they went to look for the, the synagogue, right? Many believe that there wasn't even a synagogue in Philippi at that time. There certainly wasn't a church. There certainly were not Christians and followers of Jesus yet. Oh, but Paul heard about this one place. It was a place of prayer. It was a place of prayer out by this river, out by this stream, where people would go out to this stream and pray to God. And so, you know what? They're in on that. So they decided they're going to go out there and talk to and have conversations with people who were out there. And they meet a woman by the name of Lydia. Lydia is a seller of purple goods. She's a small business owner. And as Paul begins to talk to her and they begin to speak and have conversation about Jesus Christ, lo and behold, here's what happens. The Lord opens her heart, it tells us, for her to listen and hear the gospel for the very first time. And it tells us that Lydia believes. The very first believer in all of Greece, and all of Macedonia, is a woman by the name of Lydia, a small business owner. Incredible. Oh, but God's not done. So Paul and Silas, as they make their way back into Philippi, they engage and they have this conversation with a slave girl, a young slave girl. (laughs) In fact, we don't even know her name. She's just a young slave girl. And what we do know about her is she was possessed by a demon. She was a fortune teller, and so as she was possessed by this demon and she was a fortune teller, she was owned by another person or another couple people. And the owners of this young girl were making profit off of her. She was a slave. She was simply there as a commodity to be traded around and make money for for, for her owners and for the people that she interacted with. Oh, but when Paul and Silas interacted with this young girl, they recognized very quickly that, that there was a demon inside of this young girl. And they prayed, and God released that demon from this young girl, and this young girl's whole countenance, this young girl's life radically changed, so much so that the girl stopped doing fortune-telling and actually listened to the gospel. God radically changed her heart that day. Oh, but you know what happens, you know. Those that were making profit off of the young girl realized and understood they could never make profit off of her anymore, which they in turn turned to Paul and Silas. They're the ones who were at fault here. You're costing us money. You're costing us our bottom line. You're costing us my retirement, what I want to build for myself, my own kingdom. And so what did they do? They went to the magistrate. They went to the Roman government in Philippi, and they said, these two, these two are disrupting everything. And so what took place that day is the two, Paul in particular, was beaten. In fact, Paul is going to take his worst beating as a follower of Jesus Christ in Philippi. You can go this day to this day and stand in a, in a place about this size or a little bit large, larger where Paul most likely would have taken his beating that day in front of the Bema. We know the story, right? Paul and Silas thrown into prison. You see, as a result of just simply doing what God wanted them to do, going from place to place, telling people about Jesus Christ, helping a young girl, beaten almost to death. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul speaks of this, that he was beaten almost to death in Philippi and then thrown into prison. 
If you know the story, you'll understand. We'll come to it in the book of Philippians. Later that night, around midnight, an earthquake takes place, rattles the entire city, unhinges the doors on the prison. Now they're busted open. The jailer who was inside the prison that day understands that he has one job to do. Keep these prisoners in this prison. He beats them, he flogs them, probably he's mean, he's nasty in the sense that he's not a pleasant person to be around, most likely. He's a jailer in Philippi. That night, he realizes and understands that the doors have been opened to the prison, to the jail itself. And so what he begins to realize is that all of these prisoners are gone. And as soon as the government find out, finds out, the Romans find out that all of these prisoners are gone, I'm toast, I'm dead. So he decides to take his life that particular night. And as he pulls that sword out and he's about to thrust it through his own chest, what does he begin to hear? Singing. <laughs> you, this is incredible. Paul and Silas are still inside the prison and they are singing. They're singing to the Lord. They are worshiping the Lord. They're not chained up. They're not made to be there. And what does Paul do? He yells out to the jailer because this is what the gospel does. And he says, hang on, don't kill yourself. We're all here. We're all here. And in that moment, here is a jailer, a burly, probably rough man. His heart begins to melt. And his heart is softened to what Paul's about to say to him. Paul begins to share the plan of salvation with him because certainly the jailer looks at them as though they have three heads. Why would you not be running and hiding? Oh, let me tell you about my Jesus. And it says that day the jailer was saved. It says that day the jailer went back to his family and his family got saved. And it says that day the entire family, including the jailer, were baptized that day. God moved. He moves in a woman by a stream called Lydia. He moves in a young girl who was, who was possessed by a demon. He moves in a burly jailer and his family. And here, listen, church, this becomes the nucleus of the church in Philippi. God begins to move. God begins to stir. Within days, this church is formed. Within days, this church begins to grow. And here is Paul in Philippians, writing a letter of love and encouragement and correction even, back to this group of people that started with these three, three, three people who have nothing in common. But they are united now around the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God that has radically changed their lives. Why would Paul write to this group? Well, he writes to them for several reasons. I think what Paul does here is, he's, as we're walking through this to understand this, he writes to them because he genuinely loves them. Listen, church, he has a deep love for these people. Paul loved these people. He prayed for them often. He prayed for them. And as he prayed for them, he found joy in his prayer of them. It's going to be pointed out to us in chapter 1. When he thought of them, joy came to mind. He thought about what their lives were like before. Because you see, here is the incredible thing about when you meet someone who has not given their life to Jesus Christ and then they're radically saved. You remember what they were like before and you remember what they're like now. And it, it brings joy to your heart because you see the gospel actually bring about, about life in the life of an individual. 
that before they were spiritually dead and now they are spiritually alive and it brings joy not only to the individual who may have introduced the gospel to them, but it also brings joy to see those people continuing to walk by faith and continuing to grow in the faith by way of the word and by way of the spirit of God. So Paul writes to them because he loved them. He genuinely cared for them. And here's the thing, they had supported him. They had been faithful to him. He writes to them because they have, he has incredible gratitude for them. Not only did he love them, but he had this incredible gratitude. You see, here's the thing. It's going to tell us at the end of chapter 4 that there was this man by the name of Epaphroditus. And Epaphroditus is sent by the church in Philippi, actually all the way back to Rome to where Paul is, is under house arrest. And as he's there, he sends, they send this financial gift back to Paul. They send him a gift and He is writing to them out of gratitude. They were partners with him. They financially supported his ministry so that he could go place to place, city to city. They gave him money so that he could have something to eat, something to wear, somewhere to to stay, some boat to, to, to travel on. Why would they do that? Listen, church, why do you share the gospel with someone? apart from the fact that you want them to experience the kind of hope and joy and rest that you now have. You see, whenever you experience new life and you experience the gospel of Jesus, what it does is it opens your eyes to the reality that the vast majority of the people that you work with, the vast majority of your school, the vast majority of your friends and neighbors are on their way to hell. And we want others to understand what we now have. We want others to understand the goodness, uh, the good news of Jesus Christ that has changed my life. I want you to understand it. I want my family and my friends to understand that. It drives and it motivates my prayer life. It motivates my giving. It motivates my time and what I spend. It motivates everything I do because I understand now. I understand that there are two destinations in life. One that leads to the presence of God and his holiness and his perfection that only comes by way of Jesus Christ. And the opposite is to be eternally separated from God in a place called hell. And so this church, they're willing to give as we're going to see sacrificially. In fact, when you read the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 8, he speaks of there when he's writing to the church in Corinth, he speaks of the churches of Macedonia who gave what? Financially, not out of their abundance, but they gave sacrificially first to the Lord and then they gave sacrificially. Philippi is part of this. The people of Macedonia have this heart, not just for Paul, but for the nations to understand and hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they knew that it took money to support that. And they were willing to give. And so they were partners in the gospel. And Paul's writing to them not only because he loves them, but because he has this incredible gratitude towards him, them for this partnership. But listen to me, church. He writes to them also to challenge them. He writes to challenge them. We're going to be confronted, even God confronts us in our own individual lives, in our own congregation about some important things. He challenges them in a couple of ways. In fact, the key verse, if you want to know a key verse in the book of Philippians, it's chapter 1, verse 27. Here's what it says. Only, he says, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent... I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Let me read that again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, 
I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side in the faith of the gospel. He challenged them in two ways. He told them first and foremost, listen, I want you to live worthy. If God's given you this incredible gospel, if he's given you this good news and you now understand it and you have embraced it, then now live worthy of it. Because you carry around the name of Jesus Christ. Now, live worthy of that good news. With your friends, with your neighbors, how you think, how you respond to certain things, how you, you, you carry yourself, the words that you say, the actions that you, you carry out in your own individual lives, right? How we respond to adversity, how we think about what's going on in our culture, how we think about our own individual personal lives, how we live in the private versus how we live in the present. It ought to be no different Live worthy of the gospel. It has changed you. Let it continue to change you. He's told them to live worthy, but he also challenged them to pursue unity. Stand firm in one spirit, church. Don't let outside things pull you apart. Don't let things internally in your heart pull you apart. Grudges, animosity, things that are not of God, but they can rip you to pieces. Personal preferences that if applied in the wrong way, can pull you apart. Don't let those things pull you apart. Strive with one spirit, he says. Strive with one mind. Strive, go faithfully side by side in the gospel. That's what he wants them to do. And that's what God wants us to do. So it was a letter that challenged them in incredible ways. He also wanted to address some important issues in the church. And I think when he When you read the book of Philippians, he was concerned, of course, with their unity. He wanted them to have unity. And unity not being the absence of conflict, but the presence of something supernatural and powerful, right? That's what brings unity among Christians. He wanted them to have unity. But he was concerned also with their understanding that they were not of this world, that they had the citizenship in heaven, And he wanted them to understand that, yes, you're Philippians. Yes, you're people who are in this region. Yes, you are a small business owner, and you're a young girl, and you're this, and you're that, and you're this, and you're that. And we have all of these different occupations, and we have all of these identities. But there is one identity that that, that trumps it all. It's the identity that we have in Jesus, and we're on our way to eternity. And he wanted them to understand that. And so he addresses these issues. But listen, he encouraged them to have joy in Christ. Mentioned a moment ago, joy and rejoice is used 16 times. The word Jesus himself is used 36 times. Where do we have joy? How do we have and when do we rejoice? We rejoice in who? Jesus himself. This is a letter about Jesus. This is a letter about joy, joy in Jesus himself. And the word mind and attitude So much of that starts here in our heart and in our mind. Eleven times Paul is going to use this word attitude or mind. Not action, attitude or mind. Get your attitude and your mind on Christ, and when you do so, it will bring joy into your life. It will lead to unity in your life. It will bring you to that place. And so listen, we are encouraged to find hope that God is going to vindicate every wrongdoing in the life of every Christian. Paul wanted the Philippians to know that about himself and about those who were who were mean-spirited or who had who had had any kind of wrongdoing towards them. Because of that, we can have joy in Christ. If we understand that God is at work and God is doing this work, then we can have joy himself. So listen, when I think about the book of Philippians, it's this. When your life is worthy of the gospel of Jesus, this is what God says to us. 
when, when your life is worthy of the gospel of Jesus, it's going to lead to church unity, yes. It will lead to a continuous joy in life, yes. And it will lead to an ultimately, it will ultimately lead to the spread of the gospel in our lives and in our community. Church, this is what God wants us to see and understand. I think about this book, it's an incredible book. Despite people and things and circumstances, listen to me. Despite people, circumstances, things that seek to rob your joy, here's what God wants you to understand. God wants you to give, he wants to give you a deep love for him and a deep love for each other. That's what he wants. He wants to give us a deep love for him and a deep love for each other. I'll tell you what else he wants to do in your life. He wants to give you a deep joy that comes only by embracing and having this new mind that you only have in Jesus Christ. That new mind that God gives us leads to joy. It leads to joy in our life. He wants to give you a deep joy in your heart. He wants to give us a deep joy in him and each other. But he also wants you to rejoice in the gospel. Rejoice in it. I think about the Old Testament and the New Testament. Somebody asked me the other day, like, what, what is the purpose of the Old Testament? Why don't we just read the New Testament? The fact of the matter is, and understand this, you know, somebody comes up to you and says, God loves you. If I'm a lost person and I have nothing to do with God, I've never really grown up in church, you know what, I'll look at that person and say, so what? If I've got a house on the lake and I've got a boat and I've got my dear lease and I've got this and I've got that and I've got this and I've that, why do I need God? It's great, I'm glad God loves me, but that has no impact upon my life. But you know what the Old Testament does? The Old Testament points us to a law that we could never, ever reach and measure up to. It points us to the reality of our sin. It points us to the reality of our need, that all of those things that I can accumulate in my life, all of, that accolade, all of those accolades, all of those achievements, all of those successes that I have and can build up in my life are meaningless at the end of my life because they have nothing to do with getting me and dealing with the sin in my life. I need the Lord. I need God to step into my life and rescue me. And what the Old Testament does is it points us to him, and it points us to his perfection and his holiness, and then it points us to the reality that I can never, ever reach that, which is why Romans 3 points that out to us. All those, you know, all we, how we have fallen short of the glory of God, right? There is no one righteous, no, not one. And so the reality is the Old Testament, the law, all of that points me to the need of Jesus Christ. Oh, I bet the Philippians were pretty successful. There were a lot of people going about their day, eating their meals, enjoying life, enjoying conversations, going on vacations, enjoying retirement as Roman soldiers, they were going to shows. They were seeing the newest act that came in to the city of Philippi along the Via Ignatia, the Roman superhighway. They were enamored by the excitement and the joy and all of the things going on in the city, and yet they were living in darkness on their way to being eternally separated from God. You see, what Paul wanted the Philippians to do and understand and what God wants us to understand is to how to have joy in the gospel because the gospel opens our eyes and our, our ears and the Lord Jesus Christ comes into us when we're willing and able to turn our lives over to him. 
And so I hope and pray that as we walk through this book together, it's an incredible book, that God would open your heart to not only embrace the gospel if you don't know it, and if you haven't followed Jesus with your heart yet, and also to open your heart to receive what God wants you to understand and receive out of this book. This is an incredible book as we walk through it together. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning. We're going to have a time to pray and to worship together. We're going to also have a time for you to respond. You know, you've heard the good news of Jesus Christ this morning, how God has saved these people in Philippi, how God saves many in this room. But I can assure you of this, that not every person in this room is born again. God wants you to be born again. He wants you to embrace the good news of Jesus Christ. And so the way you do that is you first and foremost acknowledge who God is, that he's perfect and holy. And you acknowledge who you are, and you're broken, and you're a sinner. And you see your need for Jesus Christ to be your Savior and your Lord. God's not calling you to a religious life. He's calling you to a life being born again by how he does and what he does supernaturally in you. He loves you so much. We're going to have a time where we stand and sing, and we're going to pray, and we're going to sing and talk to the Lord as we sing to him. Listen, if God's speaking to you about salvation, you come forward, okay? I'll be here at the front. There's others here who are willing to pray for you and talk to you about salvation. If you're here and you want to join our church or you want to be baptized, God's been speaking to you about any particular matter, you come and you pray. You come to this front, you kneel here at the front, you sit here on the front rows, and you just talk to the Lord about some important matters in your life. But listen, I want to pray and ask you to do this. For those of you also in this room who are Christians and followers of our church, part of our church family, I want to ask you just to ask the Lord as we stand and sing to open your hearts to what he wants to teach you in the book of Philippians in this incredible and powerful letter for the church. So let's stand together. I'm going to pray and we're going to sing, okay? Father, thank you this morning for the time that you've given us in your word. We pray for you to bless this time as we look to you. You're the author and the finisher of our faith, Jesus. You're the one who lives inside of us. Your Holy Spirit lives in us. God, you have a word for us. Help us to respond to your word, your truth. We love you, Lord, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Stand with us. Let's sing. Peace like a river Wash over me Immerse me in water As deep as the sea Oh, hide me in Come home. 
You can be seated this morning. You know, we are praying for revival, praying for revival in our church and our community. That begins with us, right? And so we want to continue to pray that God would open our hearts and uh, continue to move and stir us by his Holy Spirit in all that we do and all that we say. Um, this morning, um, we had a special event in the lobby today. As you leave today, we are kicking off our week-long prayer and uh, season of, uh, of collecting our offering for our state missions offering for one of our state conventions. And I want to ask uh, Heather Wiggins, she's going to come and just share with us a little bit about what's happening in the lobby and what's happening around the church this morning, how you can be a part of that. Good morning, everyone. So like he was saying, we are um, spending this week in prayer. Um, there is the Mary Hill Davis offering, and I'm here on behalf of Central Women's Ministry to kind of give you all a little backstory on Mary Hill Davis and who she was. Um, she was born in 1870 in Tennessee. She moved to Texas with her family um, at a young age. Um, she's very, very passionate about the mission field. Not only that, but especially prayer and offering. Um, she felt that Texas was a huge uh, mission field, 
and she believed that everyone, both near and far, were in need of the gospel. Amen? Um, so, um, in 1935, they actually changed the week of prayer um, for state missions offering to Mary Hill Davis offering in honor of all of her many achievements that she did. Um, so, let me remember what I was supposed to say. Um, so, Central Baptist Church, um, this week, um, we are raising money for that offering. Um, as you can see, our goal is $9,000. Last year, we blew that out of the water, and I know with his glory and guidance, we will do the same. Um, so this morning, we are um, setting up breakfast tacos. Everybody loves breakfast tacos, right? Um, it'll be in the hospitality room as well as the connection point. Um, if you're new with us this morning and you have no clue where I'm talking about, the hospitality room is right back here through these double doors next to the women's restroom, and the connection point is the hallway that connects over to the children's building. Um, if you feel entitled to donate this morning, there will be um, jars set up in both locations. Y'all have a blessed morning. Thank you. Right. Thank you very much, Heather. And yes, we got a lot of people have been working on this and, and doing that, um, preparing for this Sunday and, of course, next Sunday. And so you can take part in that. Also, in your bulletins today, you have a little prayer guide that uh, you can use throughout the week as well to pray for this particular offering. Now, let me just say this a couple things real quick before we um, uh, pray and dismissed, you know, and, and we, we give this morning. Um, you know, I think, I, first of all, I want to say how grateful I am. The last two years have been record years when it comes to missions giving in the life of our church. And so I praise God for that. I'm thankful for that. God has moved through all of us collectively as we've given to three big missions offerings that we typically put out there in front of each other, all, all of each other um, throughout the year. We have one for our state convention. We have one for our local association, but also uh, internationally when we uh, look to, uh, to give um, to, um, uh, I'm sorry, our, our state or our, our, uh, our national work that's going on through our North American Mission Board and then nationally, internationally rather, to our Lottie Moon Christmas offering. That'll be in December. And uh, the last two years have been incredible. And I just want you to know how proud I am of how you've given and I know you're going to give very faithfully this year. Um, there's a couple things I wanted to share with us though. Um, you know, our ministries on Wednesdays, Thursdays, and throughout the week, and in, even in here on Sunday mornings, is continuing to grow. Numerically, God is blessing us, and we're reaching new people in our community, um, both through our students and our children and adults, and God is continuing to bless that, and we are continuing to do incredible ministry in our community through that. Um, at the same time, um, what you don't know I know, and I carry this burden, and I want you to pray along with me along those lines, and it's this. Um, you know, with our campus, our campus has aged at different times and in different places, and so we have experienced at times, especially in the last few months, um, uh, failures to some of our systems. In fact, what you don't know this morning is there are two air conditioner units in this room not working, and they're very expensive, and we have been, as the, the air conditioning and the heating, the air conditioning especially, the heat has gone up over the summer, we have experienced an incredible amount of burden behind the scenes in fixing air conditioners and uh, dealing with that all across our campus. Um, why do I tell you those two things? A lot, not, along, not just air conditioning, but also other systems that we've had to fix, repair um, from over the years of, uh, of maintenance, and we needed to get those things up to speed. We haven't even gotten to, to campus improvements yet, which is coming. Um, why do I tell you those things? Because we don't want any of those things to be interrupted, right? We don't want our ministries on Wednesdays or Thursdays to be interrupted. 
Um, we don't want our, you know, maintenance and all of that to be interrupted. And what we do week to week here in the life of our church, just the tool that God has given us across this campus. I tell, all you, to tell you all of those things because I want you to understand something and I want you to do two things. I got two asks for you this morning, okay? One is I want you to pray along with me. Pray that God would meet these needs and that we would be able to fund the work that God is doing, okay, in the life of our church and what we want to do in the life of our church. Um, also to help fund these campus improvements and repairs that need to be made across our campus, you know, as the heat and burden of different spaces that we're using is sometimes putting an extra burden on the, on the campus and the tool, and we're doing everything we can to do that. I tell you that because I just want to share my heart with you. Over the course of the summer, our giving dropped. It significantly dropped. Um, in fact, this past month, in the month of August, was one of the lowest giving months we've had to our budget, to the budget that we approved just a, uh, not too long ago. And uh, so I want to ask you to pray along with me about all of those needs, but also secondarily, I want you to ask you that if you haven't given or have, are behind in your giving, to get caught up in your giving. As you know, I don't talk about this every Sunday. I don't talk about this all the time, but I'm talking about it this morning because it's been a burden on my heart all week uh, in, the, in my mind and heart because I look and I see all that God's doing here, but you know, it affects our budget. It affects what we can do week to week. Um, we fund a lot of our local ministries here in Livingston through our budget. Um, and so I just want to encourage you that if you're behind on your tithing or you were out of town or whatever in August and you need to get caught up, get caught up. I also want to encourage you to tithe. You know, 25 years ago, and my wife and I, when we started out in our marriage and our family, we purposed, we made it a point that we were going to tithe. There were some extremely lean years when we looked at our budget and we did not see the money coming in even to, uh, to support us. But we were committed to tithing and we were committed to giving over and above our tithe to missions offerings like this. And I just want to encourage you to, if you're not tithing and you haven't tried it, try it. God will bless you. We've never missed a meal. God has blessed us for 25 years, and I promise you he will do that for you. Um, and so, you know, we want to be faithful. We want to continue to fa be faithful in that. I have praised you. I have praised us collectively when we have given faithfully, and he, you have since I've been here. Uh, it's just been in the last couple months, but that can't be sustained. I'm just telling you that because of the, the campus repairs, improvements, and ministries that we have week to week that just continue to come. And so I want to ask you to do two things with me. Pray and then give. And let's be faithful to give, not only to our from our tithes to our budgetary gifts, but also to missions offerings like this. And let's continue to see what God does, okay, as we fund the mission that he wants us to, to, to be about, both here locally and globally around the world, okay? All right, I'm done. I want you to stand with me, and I want us to have a word of prayer. And I want to encourage us as we leave today that, uh, that God would bless you as you go to class and as you head out into our community to lead people to Christ. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you for the way in which we've had a chance to worship you this morning through singing, how we've had a chance to worship you, Lord, through our prayers, how we've, Lord, heard your word and, and how we've had an opportunity to respond to it, God, and we've prayed to you about important matters that, uh, that, that means so much to us. God, we lay before you this incredible missions offering, God, that if impacts and affects so many around the state of Texas and Pray that, God, you would be upon our, our, on our lives, Lord. This offering would be upon our minds and our hearts this week, that we would pray fervently every day, and we would purpose to give over and above our tithes to this. 
I pray as well, Lord, just for the needs that we have as a congregation, that, God, you would meet those needs. You would meet those needs financially so that we can continue to, to carry out the ministry, the mission that you have for us as a church, both here locally in Livingston and Polk County and around the world. Lord, we love you, and we know that you're going to meet those needs. And so, Father, we trust you're going to. Lord, lead us to people who need Jesus this week. Lord, help us to be faithful in that. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You're dismissed. Thank you so much.